Hello, welcome to the episode of the Let People Prosper series. My name is Dr. Vanscan. I hope you're having a prosperous day. Well, it's now 2023. So for episode 25, I really wanted to set the stage for, first of all, who I am, <laughs> my thoughts on the overall economy, and what we should be thinking about going into 2023 and beyond. You know, I've Talked with a lot of guests. I've been blessed to have many great guests during 2022 as I really got this Lightfield Prosper show started. But I realized that I haven't really had an episode yet to kind of tell you a little bit more about me and where I'm at and where I'm from and all those sort of things, Um, kind of give you my testimony. So I thought the three big things I want to talk about today are what is 2023 going to bring and where have we been in the economy, where we're at now, where we're going to go, um, what I'm doing now. And kind of my past, where I, where how I got to this point now. So without further ado, I'm going to start with my own bio. It's, it's kind of weird me doing this, but I thought it would be a good idea um, just to go ahead and give you this, um, just in case you don't know me. And I hope to get to know you one of these days soon. I'm recording this on December 27, 2022, just so you'll know that. Uh, but this will be uh, this will be released um, in January, uh, January 2nd, so of 2023. I can't believe it's already 2023. So Vanskin, me, <laughs> is an accomplished economist finding free market solutions that let people prosper. He is founder and president of Gin Economic Consulting, where he provides high-quality research and trusted insights on how to affect change at the federal, state, and local levels. Gin's experience includes time in public policy, government, and academia. He is chief economist at Pelican Institute for Public Policy and a senior fellow at several think tanks, including Americans for Tax Reform, Tax Public Policy Foundation, and Young Americans for Liberty. I previously served as the associate director for economic policy, quote-unquote the chief economist, of the White House's Office of Management and Budget, 2019 to 2020. While there, I advised the OMB's senior staff on economic and fiscal policy matters, which resulted in $4.6 trillion in savings over a decade and the need for a fiscal rule in the president's fiscal year 2021 budget. I'm also the former chief economist at the Tex Public Policy Foundation and policy director for the Alliance for Opportunity Campaign, a, multiple, a multi-state poverty relief initiative, where collectively I fought and won many free market reforms to let people prosper during multiple legislative sessions. I've taught many economic courses at institutions of higher education, including Sam Houston State University and Texas Tech University, where he won a teaching award, where I won a teaching award, guns up. I have appeared on leading national and state news shows, such as America's Reports on Fox News and Cavuto Coast to Coast on Fox Business. Uh, my commentary has been published in the Wall Street Journal, Fox News, Washington Post, National Review, um, and other national and state publications. I earned my doctorate in economics at Texas Tech University, where I also earned, an, earned my bachelor's degree there as well. I graduated from homeschool in South Houston, Texas. I reside in Round Rock, Texas with my wife and three kids. And I'm a drummer who played for a top rock band in Houston, Texas. So I'm going to talk a little bit about that today. Um, If you would, please go ahead and make sure you subscribe to my podcast, wherever you like to listen or watch your podcast on YouTube and other places. Um, That'd be a great thing. And be sure to rate this five-star rating as well. You can also find a lot of my information, a blog post and everything else that I do on vanceginn.com and my newsletter, vanceginn.substack.com. And if you would, please share that, you know, with your friends and family and others, that would be most appreciative. Um, you know, really my, this is a pretty broad audience that I like to speak to with this. Um, as I tell a lot of my guests, uh, more of a classical liberal audience usually, but I try to make it to where it's across the political spectrum. Uh, we're going to have mostly conservative libertarians on, on the show just because that's who I'm most affiliated with. But at the same time, there's disagreement that happens there that we need to talk about and get into and have cordial discussions again. But I also want to bring on progressives as well. 
as I think it's important for us to be able to have a good dialogue from across the political spectrum. Um, it's so much that's going on in our day-to-day -day lives that it's important for us to be able to talk to one another and make sure that we are engaged with others that are around us in a cordial way and in an educated way and in a happy warrior way. That's really who I am. If you know me, I'm a happy warrior. I'm fighting for liberty, free markets, pro-growth policies each and every day that I think are so important. So with all that, you know, I really want to get make sure that we have some good time here to talk about what's going on in the economy as an economist. That's what I most often talk about. Um, I think my kind of specialties are in fiscal policy. When you're thinking about spending limits and fiscal rules, um, I would work a lot on conservative budgets, responsible budgets, spending limits based on population growth and inflation, um, things of that nature, but also tax reform, you know, trying to eliminate taxes as much as possible, getting away from personal income taxes, trying to get more towards sales taxes, consumption-based taxes, but also poverty relief initiatives. What's the thing that's really going to get people back into the workforce um, to have long-term self-sufficiency, not just uh, a government dependency where they go off a program and back on a program, but really sets people up for success for the future, not government dependency, but self-sufficiency for individuals. I think those are all key things within a classical liberal, limited government sort of, sort of atmosphere. And so when I'm thinking about the economy, and I want to talk more about my philosophy as we go through this um, and everything else, but I think it's important to talk about where the economy has been, where we're at now, and where I think we're heading in 2023. Look, this has been an, an interesting situation just over the last few years. I mean, we had a period during the 2000s of a housing market boom and then bust which I believe was created a lot by the, the Federal Reserve with their low interest rate target policy, but also Congress and a lot of the, the push to people owning a home, a Community Reinvestment Act, things of that nature, which really set up the stage for an inflationary period of the housing market with too much demand compared to the supply that was out there. And eventually it was going to bust. And we saw the bust during the Great Recession is what it's called now. But it was really a period that we've got to make sure we look at the boom to be able to understand the bust. And that's part of my philosophy as an economist, my schools of economic thought, I believe in some sense are more well-rounded in the sense that I come at it from different stages. When you think about classical economists like Adam Smith and things of that nature, or what Peter Betke talks, mainline economics, where I kind of consider uh, my, my thinking is coming from Adam Smith, Lovett von Mises, Frederick Hayek, the Austrian School of Economics, the business cycle theory that's coming in, but also Milton Friedman um, and Gary Buck Becker, some of the things that were going on there at the Chicago School, James Buchanan, Gordon Tolick, and others with the public choice economics, I think is very important, and Gary Net North and uh, Gary North and others in the institutional economics. I think collectively, those things really guide my thinking on the economy, where it's important to look at people and how they behave. Economics, people will say, well, it's just, you know, it's just the overall economy. It's 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 um, government spending, it's dollars, it's a stock market. To me, it's really about individuals. The way that I define economics is the study of human action and interaction to satisfy our desires within institutions um, given scarce resources, right? It's really about individuals and how we're coming together in order to satisfy our desires each and every day. And so we've got to be able to study those things and see how people behave. And so if you don't understand the boom part, you can't really understand the bust and what to do about it. And too often when you look at history and see the evidence is what's happened in the past, um, you notice that the boom has really been led by government regulation, 
government spending, government taxes, the things that really give more control by government from a top-down approach, more Keynesian sort of economics, really, right? That's trying to trying to distort, fine-tune the economy to get their sort of outcomes that they want. We hear that a lot now with modern monetary theory, right? Which really, I don't think it's much of a theory, more than more just an idea, uh, because really what they're trying to do is to get big progressive ideas in place, and then they're coming up with a theory to match how to get to that point. And that's not what economics is about. Economics is about ensuring that we have a good understanding of an institutional framework that thinks about the mental models that each and every, every one of us have and use every day. I think it's just so important in this process. And so when you think about the 08 crisis and what happened before that with the boom period, the Federal Reserve's actions, Congress's actions, the president, you know, George W. Bush's actions of trying to have this American dream of owning a home, there was just so much that was wrapped around that. And then everything hit the fan and we had the Great Recession. Many people lost their jobs, the unemployment rate went up, all these things happened. It's an unfortunate situation. And then after the Great Recession, right, um, you had President Obama put a lot more money in the economy, American Recovery and Reinvestment Act, which was a, you know, about a trillion dollars at the time, which doesn't sound like a lot now, but it was a massive amount at that time and still is a massive amount, to be honest. But, but we also saw a lot of, you know, um, other things, Obamacare, a lot of regulations that were put in the healthcare industry, a lot of regulations that were put in place in the banking industry industry, um, Dodd-Frank being one of those, just a lot of other bills and regulations and spending and taxes, higher taxes as well, that strangled the economy. It reduced its vibrancy for the next few years. And we really saw that going into the mid-2010s. And then you had the Trump administration came in with a different philosophy. I don't always agree with a lot of the, the rhetoric and the hype and more of the populism. I'm not a populism sort of guy. I'm, I'm a classical liberal, okay? I want markets to work and I want uh, people to, to, to be able to prosper. But what we had at that time was a period of deregulation. We had a period of tax cuts. Um, and that, I think, really set the stage for more economic growth, more vibrancy as the economy began to um, really recover, I think, even from the Great Recession. As people were coming back to work, the, the labor force participation rate was going up. The, a lot of the factories were moving back as you lowered the corporate tax rate from 35%, the highest in the developed world, down to 21%, more of the global average. That, so that made it's more competitive in a global playing field. One of the things that I think are so important that oftentimes people miss when they talk about things like China and the trade deficit and others, they'll point the finger at other countries when really they've got three other fingers that are pointing back at them at the United States. So we need to get our own act in order. When that consider regulations that need to be cut, taxes that need to be cut, spending that needs to be cut to make sure that we have a competitive advantage over every country. We're very comparative advantage, meaning that we can produce things. We're very productive. Um, but it's cheaper in a lot of other places. And a big reason is that it is because of all the government forces and government um, actions that are put in place, like higher and higher minimum wage. Those sort of things reduce our competitive nature over time. And so, you know, during that period, there was a lot of growth. I mean, I was there in the Trump White House, like I said earlier, from June 2019 to May of 2020. Um, so I saw a period of economic expansion, um, job creation. I remember at a lot of our meetings at OMB, I would always give out what was going on in the jobs report each month and things were looking good, right? Helped write the president's last budget. 
budget for fiscal year 2021, where we found that $4.6 trillion in savings, added in a fiscal rule, really saying that we need to really constrain what government spending can do. Just like states have, the federal government needs that as well. That really allows for consistency, something to be able to see for the future. But you also had a period where you know all those good things were going on, lowest poverty rate on record um, in 2019, uh, highest real median household income adjusted for inflation on record. I mean, these were extraordinary things that were happening. You know, I, truth be told, I think we should have done a better job of spending and having uh, messaging out there of not spending as much as the deficit continued to go up even under Republicans, right? This is a Republican and Democrat problem of too much spending over time um, and that needs to really get under control. But those were some big things that were going on at the time. And then COVID hit, right? Just a, just a, 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 humong- a huge situation that changed our lives in many ways, but also changed the economy. Many people have dropped out of the labor force since then. There's expect, you know, estimated to be about 3.5 million people that are out of the labor force now that, that were in there then. If you considered what the trend was going to be over time and some other factors that were there. Um, There was a lot of spending that went in place. We had the CARES Act, the Family First Act that was before that under the the Trump administration. You had a lot of handouts that were put out there, all these uh, rebate checks that were sent, the stimulus checks, quote unquote, stimulus checks that were sent out. Um, And then there was another one right before before the end of the Trump administration in December of 2020. That was another big bill that was out there. Just massive amount of spending, massive deficits. The, The deficit went above $3 trillion um, and then you had the Biden administration come in and just took all that and put it on steroids. The American Rescue Plan Act and all this money out there, $2 trillion worth of money with added the national debt um, and more checks were being sent out again and everything else. You had the Inflation Reduction Act over the last couple of years. Um, you had an Infrastructure Act that was put in place. Um, you had the Chips Act, which was another manipulation of the markets. Um, and you had one thing after another where the government has infiltrated the economy even more. And I say infiltrated because I really think that's the case. I think it's one reason why we're seeing people not wanting to go back to work, right? I mean, research has shown on this that it's up to $100,000 on an annualized basis that people were getting in monthly amount of supplements from the government from just payments, from redistribution of income coming from taxpayers to individuals. It was just a massive situation. But also the economic effects that COVID, the shutdowns, which I think were um, unwarranted, we should not have shut things down, had a massive effect on supply chains and a massive effect on people's ability to work. They lost their job and they couldn't find a job quickly. Um, and so maybe they retired. Maybe they went on disability. This has also contributed to why people are now out of the labor force because of government, not because of necessarily what their decision was that they wanted to do, but because government contributed to that happening, right? Um, and and they, you know they were kind of bailed out in some situation because of what the government was doing at that time. But about $7 trillion has almost been added to the national debt just over the last you know two and a half years, almost three years now, just a massive amount to where we have $31 trillion in national debt, which is about $95,000 owed per every man, woman, and child in the United States, about $240,000 or $250,000 for every taxpayer. So we have a massive amount of debt that we're going to owe. So this is a redistribution of, of income. The spending is, right? We never have a revenue problem. We have a spending problem. So spending is a redistribution of income from people from one place to another. That's all it is. It doesn't stimulate the economy like Keynesian economists would say. It doesn't create inflation or anything like that, right? The inflation comes because government spends too much. They run up deficits. The Federal Reserve buys that. 
then they increase the money supply. Then people go out and spend more. And if supply doesn't catch up at the same rate as the increase in demand, which is an artificial demand because the Federal Reserve is creating you know, new money out of thin air, um, then you're going to get inflation. And, and that's what we've seen. I mean, since the early stages of all this, I've been saying this is going to be persistent inflation, that this is not going to be transitory inflation, as some economists have, would have said. I think it was just a lack of understanding about monetary economics, but also a lack of understanding of the overall economy of what was going on. You've got to be able to consider these different factors. A lot of my research, you know, my dissertation and other um, academic research and publications in academic journals has been on oil and gas prices and how they affect the economy. And that's a very fluid market, a flexible market, if you will, to see how markets really work. And so whenever you start putting these pieces together and seeing how the government was bailing out companies, giving a lifeline for a period of time, but they're probably going to go down later. The Federal Reserve is keeping, you know, the, um, holding their target rate interest, the federal funds rate around 0% for too long, in my, in my view. They've increased their balance sheet from about $4 trillion, which was already bloated from the Great Recession, to um, about $9 trillion, just a massive increase in their balance sheet, which their balance sheet is really where you need to look. The interest rates are important, the, the target interest rate and what they're doing there. But the way they manipulate the economy is really through their balance sheet. And we've seen that even more recently in the last decade plus with the quantitative easing, right? It's a way to get more money into specific parts of the economy that are not based on market-based activity. And the market is nothing more than people, right? This is why free markets is free people, people that are going against the free market now, like national conservatives, populists, progressives that, don't, that are disregarding and downgrading the free market, I believe are really want unfree people. They don't want free people because they want to be able to manipulate them in some way. And that's a lot of what the Federal Reserve already does. That's why at the end of the day, we need to end the Fed. I think we need to go to a free banking system, a commodity-based system based on gold backing or silver backing or bimetallic standard with gold and silver um, or some other basket, I think would be much better than the situation we have today. My main preference is really a, a free banking system to allow for competitions with the banks of whatever sort of currency they want to issue but I don't know. We've got a long way before we can get there, right? So until we get there, we need a rule on the Federal Reserve, right? Like maybe something like the Taylor Rule, I think, would be a better idea than what we have today, for sure. And the Taylor Rule says that the Federal Reserve, the federal funds rate, the overnight lending rate between banks should be closer to 7 8% compared to the 4.5% that it is as of this time of the recording. Um, and that's just the overnight lending rate between, between banks. And that's not even considering the Fed's balance sheet, which I think has been coming down. I don't think, I know it's been coming down. It's down about four, a little over 4% 4 from its highs back in May of 2022, as of December of 2022. But I think they need to be more aggressive. That's only 4% after it increased dramatically. It went up by 100% over a short period of time. We've really got to start bringing that money back out of the system allow for markets to correct. And, and unfortunately, that's going to create um, a larger uh, recession. I believe we're in a recession now. The second quarter, um, in the, the first quarter, second quarter, and third quarter of 2022, if you look at those, the first and second quarter were negative, right? Meaning declining economic output. With two consecutive quarters of declining real economic output means inflation adjusted. The size of the economy had, has contracted for two consecutive quarters. Every time that's happened since 1950, it's been it's been counted as a recession by the National Bureau of Economic Recession. 
the National Bureau of Economic Research, sorry. Um, and, and so I believe that this is again a recession. It may not have hit the down, you know, it's not as steep as what we might have seen in other past times, but I believe we're in a recession now. You also have the situation where the third quarter showed 3.2% growth at the third estimate. But if you excluded the net exports, which was driven really by natural gas exports to Europe, which are in a world of hurt because of their bad green energy policies, right? Um, we've been sitting, and you had the Russia-Ukraine war, that fiasco that's going over the, on over there with Russia and how much money we're sending over there as well. That's a whole other issue. But I but I think when you, when you look at the amount of natural gas exports, you exclude all that, which may go back to some sort of equilibrium later. The net exports, if you, so if you take the total 3.2% growth, subtract out net exports, we would have had a growth of only 0.3%. 0.3%, okay? Um, if you looked at inflation, inflation was only about 4% in the third quarter as is measured by the GDP implicit price index. Had that measure been the same rate of inflation as first quarter and second quarter of about 7 8%, we would have also had negative or declining real economic output again. So I think we're still in a recession. The labor market has been a lagging indicator quite a bit, right? As the, the establishment report by the Bureau of Labor Statistics continue to show more than 200,000 jobs grown, you know, increased on net per month, which seems kind of robust, quote unquote robust. Uh, but if you look at the household survey, which can tell you some of the indications on whenever things are going to go down or go up faster, tells, tells you more of those. Um, you know, that's been declining now on, on net, net job losses for four out of the last eight months. And so I think that's a better indication of what's going on. Inflation around 7% at the end of 2022 going into 2023, I think it's still going to remain elevated well above the Fed's 2% target. Even if you look at the personal consumption expenditures of around 6%, still three times that rate. And I think we need to see some deflation. We don't just need disinflation. We need deflation to increase our purchasing power. And so that in 2023, what I really see is that there's going to be a lot more corrections in the economy. The recession is going to be even deeper than what we thought. And it's going to, or what many thought, I think is going to happen anyway. And it's happening now, but it's it's also going to be longer because we have a lot more corrections to happen from the unwarranted, inappropriate policies of the Biden administration's over-regulation, Congress's overspending, and now over-taxing as they raise taxes as well, but and also the Federal Reserve's overprinting of money. Those three things have really led to a substantial decline in our economic way of doing things and the economic ability to prosper. And so we're going to have some major issues in 2023, but some of the things that I think will be good to end here on an optimistic note is that Republicans will have the House. And I'm not so worried necessarily about just Republicans, okay? Um, Republicans don't always have the best policies either. <laughs> Remember, I'm a classical liberal. Um, and so I usually have some, some uh, differences with a lot of Republicans. But what's, what I think will be good here is we'll have a split Congress between Democrats in the Senate, Republicans in the House, we have conflict. And hopefully that will keep them from doing a lot of big bills. I would like to see them cut spending, cut taxes. But but at the end of the day, if we have all this infighting that's happening in Congress, I think the Biden administration is going to continue their green agenda, which is going to um, try to get rid of oil and gas, right? But through executive order. We're going to see one executive order after another, a lot of regulations put in place on energy, probably on health care, 
banking, anywhere they can put their fingerprints, they're going to do it. We've already seen it with student loans, which is unconstitutional. I think that's all going to go away by trying to um, make it forgiven. There's no, there's nothing, nothing is free, right? I'm one of my favorite economists, if not the my favorite economist, Milton Friedman said nothing is free, right? And there isn't anything free. There's always a cost and we're going to see that really hit the, hit the hay. And so one thing after another is going to happen over this next year. But the thing that I think we need to focus on is trying to remain optimistic. Get your own house in order, right? Get your own finances in order to make sure that you can deal with whatever's coming on down the road. This is one reason why I don't try to rely a lot on to be dependent on Social Security. I don't think it's really going to be there when I get older, okay? And so these are things we need to think about in our own lives. As you're developing your own mental model of what the economy is looking around you, what people are looking around you, then you can start to see these things each and every day. And that's what I hope to talk about each week here on the Let People Prosper show is to bring people on who are really living this every day as well. Like John Taylor or Casey Mulligan or Angela Rashidi, Scott Linscombe, a number of people that have been on the program, Peter Betke, you know, those are the types of folks that I want to keep bringing on, but also policy folks, right? Representatives, congressmen, things of that nature, who I think can help us to learn more about our world. This is a lot of what I'm doing right now too. Um, so I opened up the Get Economic Consulting. I'm president of that. I'm also chief economist of the Pelican Institute for Public Policy, but I'm also working with a lot of other state think tanks, um, but also Young Americans for Liberty to really keep this program pro-liberty, happy warrior mentality going, because I think it's so important within this movement. And I think it's important not only for me, but for my kids. I've got three kids. I got to make sure that they have a better way of life here in America as we move forward in our economy and make sure that they prosper as well. You know, and, 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 and given where all that's coming from, as I like to wrap up here is kind of giving you kind of my testimony of where my life is and how I've got to this point where I'm at today. I started off kind of humble background in South Houston, Texas. Uh, loving mom and dad, November 12th, 1981 is when I was born. And, you know, they they struggled early on with finances. Um, my dad ended up having epilepsy, so he had a lot of seizures um, pretty early on as well. He passed away in 2011 from what's called SUDEP an acronym for sudden unexpected death and epilepsy. Um, and so I've been an advocate for that. I'm on an epilepsy foundation board and things of that nature here in Texas. But they also, you know, it, it, it hurt their their family in the sense of um, their relationship between mom and dad. They got divorced when I was pretty young. When And, and so with during that period of time, it was kind of back and forth. But it was also a, a growing stage for my mom, being a single mom, working a lot of hours, amount of hard work that was put in place and everything else to get through that period um, for my sister and I. But I also went to a small private school where my mom worked from kindergarten to second grade, had an opportunity. I went to a public school from third grade to sixth grade, lived with my grandparents for a couple of years as they helped me out through some, some tough times that were going on at the, at the house. And then from seventh grade through 12th grade, I went to homeschool through a Becca video homeschool, um, got some great experience there as well. And so I'll during these institutional mental models, these institutional changes, you can already see a lot of things. Dad having epilepsy, seeing a lot of, you know, a lot of seizures, um, low income family overall growing up, already three different systems of schooling that best met my needs. But then around 16, I started playing drums. I was in a hard rock band called Syndrome in Houston, played a lot of shows there, uh, had a great time doing that, but also kind of started heading in a wrong direction. Wasn't living, you know, the, the best of lives and um, uh, was a tough time for me. But then, you know, I started going to college, to a junior college in Houston, had that period for a little while. And, and then I had, was in a serious car accident, May 25th, 2002. We were going 120 miles an hour down a frontage road in, um, in near Houston. 
Uh, ran into a Suburban, hit clipped it back in, rolled at least six times. Just a bad situation. I was knocked in unconscious, was out for several minutes before I came to. Ended up being lifelighted at Herman Hospital in Houston. And really, by the grace of God, I went home that night. And minor injuries overall, but a lot of bruising to where I was in bed for about a month. Gave me a lot of time to think about where my life was heading. And I really believe that, you know, not only think, but pray about it a lot. And I really believe that God set me up for to let people prosper. Right, is where all this kind of came in to came came to fruition here, and and I went to study economics. I really felt like it was the told a lot about the way the world works, um, in a way that made sense to me, but also as a tool to help other people in the process. And that's why I went to become a first generation college student, as my or at least finished college, uh, as my dad didn't finish, um, and so I did that at Texas Tech University. Do a major in economics and accounting, do a minor in political science and mathematics, and then decided to get a PhD in economics there at Texas Tech as well well, um, wrote a number of papers, taught at Sam Houston State University, um, taught at Texas Tech University. And then I went to work at the Texas Public Policy Foundation, had a great time there, um, working on a lot of big policies, working with some great folks in Texas and continue to do that a lot to a lot of extent. Uh, but then had the opportunity to work in the White House. I can't believe that. Coming from where I came from, right, having to work in the White House was, it was truly remarkable. Uh, never thought that in my wildest dreams, especially at this age and everything else. Extraordinary experience, um, highs and lows, but but it was a great experience overall. And coming back to Texas Public Policy Foundation after that, being chief economist, working on some big items and poverty relief and conservative Texas budget and all of that were really important to me. And, and then, you know, with my mom passing away um, early in, in, two, in, in 2022, from end-stage liver disease, just in having another baby at the same time. There's a lot of different things that were going on, and it's kind of this next stage where I think it's the next stage to let people prosper, to continue to build and make sure that we're, we're improving things over time. And um, I believe I'm doing that. I believe I'm continuing to do that. And that's what I feel like God has in store for me. And so as we're studying the economy, as we're studying how people behave and interact with one another, it's important to really understand that we are all in this together in some capacity. And individuals acting in their own best interest and having the amount of liberty that they do in a free enterprise system, free market capitalism is the best path to prosperity, right? I'll keep saying that over and over again. Uh, as Larry Kudlow used to say on his show a lot, still does sometimes. But I think this is so important for us as people, as uh, people who are created by God to flourish, right? Um, and to be fruitful. And I think why other than that would God create us than to be fruitful and flourish on this earth that he created? Um, and so I'm just thankful for you for listening and continue to listen. We've got a big 2023 coming up as I'm going to relaunch a lot of the episodes we've done in the past, but also build on that each week as we move forward, as we've got a lot to study throughout the process. Um, so again, thank you for listening. Uh, please reach out anytime and let people prosper. <laughs>